This is Tamara Leach. This is Tom Korski. This is Dr. Robert Malone. This is Wayne Peters. This is Kaylor Betts. What's up, guys? It's Kid Carson, and you're listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Happy Wednesday. How's everybody's week rolling along? This guy, you know, I'm, I'm still here. Somebody asked, uh, I thought you were going on holidays. Does that mean no shows? It's like, no, no. The shows roll on, folks. Come on now. We can't uh, have a, a day go by without a little uh, Sean Newman Podcast. Anyways, <laughs> I am uh, spending some time with the wife. So excited about that. Uh, we get to see a new nephew into the family. So uh, excited for a little bit of time away. That being said, we're gonna the show rolls on. So uh, no worries there. We got something for you today. We got something Friday. And uh, it'll be hard and heavy come next week. And uh, like I said, the show rolls on. So that all being said, welcome Wednesday. Hope everybody's week is cruising along. Certainly this guy having a little bit of fun. And uh, before we get to today's episode, how about a little episode sponsor, shall we? Guardian Plumbing and Heating, uh, Blaine and Joey Steffen. They're looking for uh, folks, and what makes them different is their service team works seven days on, seven days off, uh, schedule, 12-hour shifts, no night shift, no on-call. So basically, you're working half the time, but get paid for the whole thing. Now, once upon a time, this guy wanted, uh, you know, he's like, can I get paid a whole lot to do a whole lot of nothing? And... Uh, I would say the meaning of life is not in there. I think uh, what uh, Guardian Plumbing and Heating uh, offers, there's a whole lot more there. And uh, certainly you want you want time off to have with your family and friends and all that good stuff, your, your kids. And so you want to go to work. You want to be the team that uh, you're going to enjoy. And from everything I've seen from Guardian Plumbing and Heating, they got that. So, of course, they give you 12 hours on or 12, 12 hours. On. They give you uh, seven days on, seven days off. Uh, which is going to be awesome for the family style of life. But I think uh, from an employer, what you're going to enjoy is how you're treated. That's just my thoughts. Maybe they'd argue with me. That's fine. They're looking for plumbers, HVAC techs, installers, and apprentices. And of course, you go to guardianplumbing.ca where you can schedule your next appointment at any time. Uh, Kent Erickson and family over at Erickson Agro Incorporated, Irma, Alberta. I've met his parents now, so shout out to uh, Mr. and Mrs. Senior Erickson, that is. But it's Kent and Tasha who uh, have uh, sided up alongside the SMP family farm, raising four kids, growing food for their community and this great country. I've signed on to help do uh, a golf tournament there. So um, we'll see uh, how that goes. I'm probably just going to be swinging a club and smacking it directly into the woods. Either way, uh, uh, this summer, July, I will be uh, that way, and that should be a lot of fun. Uh, The Deer and Steer Butchery, uh, Lloydminster Butcher Shop. So if you're looking to uh, uh, get any of your um, meat cutting done, uh, just look no further than uh, Deer and Steer Butchery. And you know what? I know something funny. I ran into, of all people today, Brett Kissel. It was kind of like this random kind of chance meeting and you're probably going is he coming on the podcast we're working on it we've been working on it for a little bit and uh anyways the reason i bring it up is he's like uh you know you got any good hunting spots up there and i'm like not only do i got some good hunting spots but i got a butcher that uh you should uh after you you know you get that deer come hunting season um you should uh, stop in and see this guy anyways so we'll see where that goes either way um if you're got an animal need some butcher uh, butcher <laughs> needs some butcher like holy man is shot on holidays or what if you're looking for uh someone to uh, dice up your meat look no further deer and steer butchery that's uh right in the lloydminster area give them a call 780-870-8700 the three trees 
Tap and Kitchen. They've been, uh, once again, back at their live music. Uh, they just had, um, oh my goodness, uh, Pollard. Why can't I think of her first name, folks? Anyways, um, not that it matters. She was, uh, that's terrible. Oh, I can't remember it, though. Doesn't matter. She was live. She did a little unplugged. Uh, it looked like it was a ton of fun. I keep saying if you're in the Lloydminster area, you're looking for a good meal. Actually, I shouldn't say I should be saying this. Twos has been saying this. He goes, you want a good meal, go to Three Trees Tap and Kitchen. I've been saying if you want a, a date night with the wife, uh, take her to a little live music. Pay attention to their social media. And, uh, of course, uh, book a reservation, 780-874-7625. Uh, Gartner Management, their Lloyd Mr.-based company, specializing in all types of rental properties to help meet your needs, whether you're looking for a small office or, you know, you need a little something uh, bigger. Wade Gartner, 780-808-5025. He can get you hooked up. Now let's get on to that tale of the tape brought to you by Hancock Petroleum. For the past 80 years, they've been an industry leader in bulk fuels, lubricants, methanol, and chemicals, delivering to your farm, commercial, or oil field locations. For more information, visit them at HancockPetroleum.ca. He's owner of Hoven Farms and former Clearwater County Reeve. He's going to be running as an independent in the upcoming Alberta provincial election. I'm talking about Tim Hoven. So buckle up. Here we go. This is Tim Hoven, and you're listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Well, welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Today, I'm joined by uh, Tim Hoven. So first off, sir, thanks for uh, hopping on. Hey, thank you for the invite. Well, you know what? I don't, I, I'm not even going to say your name because I was, I was scrolling through my phone and then I'm like, you know what? It doesn't really matter. I had a phone call last week uh, from a lady out of your constituency, your area. Yes. And she was like, you have to interview Tim. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, like, I, man, I'm dragging my feet and she was emotional. She was like, this story needs to be told. He needs to have somebody who will talk to him because nobody's willing to talk. Now, I'm sure that uh, maybe she exaggerated a little bit. Maybe she didn't. It doesn't matter. And I'm like, you know what? What the heck is the Sean Newman podcast if he doesn't answer the call when when uh, when asked upon? So uh, I don't know how the heck things get thrown my way, Tim, but I feel like um, either way, we should have an interesting hour here, uh, uh, learn a little bit about you and some of the predicaments that you've been put into uh, because of well, the political world, as we know, it's an it's an interesting place. I don't need to tell you that. It's it is a very interesting place, and the one thing I do know for sure, it's going to get a lot more interesting over the next sixty days. Well, here let's let's do this. Uh, lots of people who follow uh, the UCP, and you're not running yeah. for the UCP. You're independent, and we can get into that story. But for a lot of people, maybe they know who Tim is. Maybe they have zero clue. Um, and I'm going to assume if you're not political savvy in Alberta politics, uh, you know, the listenership across the country, down in the States, they're going to be like, who is this guy? So let's, let's start with a little bit about Tim, uh, and and we'll go from there. Well, the first thing I want to say is because the writ has not been dropped and I, uh, and I'm not affiliated with any party at this time, I can only say that I intend to run as an independent. The election laws are such that because the writ hasn't been dropped yet, there isn't an election, so you can't say that you're running Correct. in the election. So I intend to run as an independent when the writ is dropped. Well, well I look forward to seeing you run as a, you know, this little song and dance, half my life. Anyways, car- carry on. Um, okay. So fair enough. Words matter, and I get that. 
So my name is Tim Hoven. I am a farmer here on the eastern edge of Clearwater County, halfway between Red Deer and Rocky Mountain House. Uh, my family has been on this land since 1908 when they came up from South Dakota. If you go to Google Maps, you can type in Hoven, South Dakota, and you'll see a little town that my great, great, great grandfather started. Um, we've been farming here on the family farm since 1930, my wife and I, or 1930. Uh, my wife and I were, have been married for 30 years this summer. We've got eight kids and eight? my eldest, eight kids. Yes. You know, it's so funny when oh. you say that in front of a group of people, there's an audible gasp in the crowd. It, uh, it's a rarity these days. Children are a blessing. They're a lot of work, but it's, it's a good thing. Now I'm did you always want eight kids? Or are you a good uh, a good Catholic man, and, and and that's just the way it, the the dice rolled? Well, it uh, well, I am Catholic, and I don't know if we ever planned to have that big of a family, <laughs> but it just happens. And you know, I I absolutely love kids. How I how how far how far apart are they? Eight kids in how many years? Uh, my eldest is twenty seven, and my youngest is twelve. So 15, 15 years. So a kid every second year, essentially. Yeah. It keeps you young. I tell you, I tell you what, they, uh, listen, on this side, everybody knows me. I got, I got, I got three kids, six, uh, turn, soon to be seven, soon to be seven, six and four. Who don't know how that happened. Anyways, I, I've always said, uh, you know, we had complications uh, on our last one. So right. there will be no more uh, children unless, uh, uh, the big guy upstairs absolutely wills it, you know, like there's just right. things that can't, uh, anyways, um, it's funny. At one, I was done. At two, I was certainly done. And at three, after you know, we got over uh, you know the the hospital ride and everything there, I was like, you know, I could probably have four. This is such a strange thing to say out loud because uh, having kids in the house in a full house and just like uh, when you talk about keeping you young, I can imagine that. Um, I, I, life will be very strange as they get older and it, and the house goes quiet instead of an absolute. You know, what is going on here? Some days, uh, you know, like as they do what kids do and our kids are rambunctious so i can imagine eight in the hoven uh, residence was a little interesting probably still well, is I interesting remember one day Lori and i were sitting around the kitchen table and there's eight kids under 12 and you think what have we done <laughs> this is unbelievable but now that they're older i tell it's just a blessing right i've got one son who's currently back on the farm working one son in the armed forces a daughter in calgary who is studying to be a cpa a son up in Edmonton at U of A studying to be an engineer, another son in the seminary right now, and then only three kids at home. So when we sit down for supper and there's only three kids, the table seems very empty. That's it got to be an interesting, you know, that has to be just a fascinating, uh, I assume in family holidays you get together, I just assume. We try. Try, just like everybody else. Um, to have uh, somebody in the seminary, an accountant, law enforcement, a father who's running in politics or intends to run in politics. Thank you. Uh, what, what am I missing in there? Like that's no, none of them just decided like, Hey, that accounting thing sounds really cool. And they all just went that way. They're, they're that diverse. Well, my daughter, actually the one who's studying to be a CPA, she had dyslexia until she, and it was reading was such a struggle for her. Um, and we've, we've homeschooled. So my wife worked really hard with Therese and getting her to read better. 
And then she got to Red Deer College, was on the Dean's List, or sorry, Red Deer Polytechnique now. She got on the Dean's List and graduated at the top of her class. So we're really, really proud of the work that she's done. Hmm. That's, that's, uh, I appreciate you sharing all that. Um, I, I stare at eight kids and I, in amazement that you're, you're still whole because, uh, <laughs> I, I assume there's some years, you know, I, I, I talked to, uh, I've interviewed a lot of different, um, couples over the years and talked about, uh, you know, what was their favorite decade, you know, and we're talking their kids now are in their forties type thing. And yep. one of them, I still remember they had five kids and I think it was five and five and 10 years. I think it was similar to what you're talking about, but instead eight, five. And he said, just don't ask me about the seventies. And I started laughing. I went, well, what about the seventies? Like, well, I just don't remember it. We had five kids under like nine years old or whatever it was. And he's like, I just don't remember any of it. It was such a, a blur until they hit a certain age where you could kind of go oh, again, you know? And so I assume yeah. that you have a decade like that uh, as well. Oh, definitely. Uh, I don't remember much from the nineties till maybe 2006. <laughs> So, see, and then I was in a bad accident back in 2006. Uh, it took me three surgeries and uh, a year and a half of Tylenol 3s just to survive. And so those, those years are quite a haze. What, what happened? I was in a quad accident. I was uh, a piece of our, our farm equipment got on fire. So I jumped on the quad, ran as fast as, or ran, drove as fast as I could, lost control, flipped over. Broke about four ribs, separated my shoulder. It was, uh, and this was right in the middle of haying season. Uh, so it wasn't a good time for the family. And it, it took three surgeries to get me all patched back up. Well, A, happy to hear that, you know, it seems like there's been, uh, I know of a lot of uh, different farmers and rural folk who've had their, their um, brushes with uh, mortality uh you know uh, a couple of bad accidents and different things like that i'm curious yep. why does a family man of eight he's got farming all these different things what leads you towards politics because you you uh even before provincial because you were uh city reeve yes or reeve not city reeve rm reeve what, was, what do they call was, what do they call a, a reeve. A i was reeve. elected to clearwater county council in 2017 and I served there for four years. And one of those years, I was the Reeve of the county. So why did you run for that? Why, why did you put your name forward just in the beginning? Like, was there something there that you just, you know, that really pulled at your heartstrings, like, I got to do this? Or what, what was the thought process? Well, at that time in the county, there were two big things going on. Number one, rural crime was out of control in my area. We had three... Um, I don't know what the proper term. It was about two meth labs and one chop shop within six miles of my house. If two days went by and a neighbor wasn't broken into, it was a rare occurrence. Like it was every 48 hours, someone else would have something stolen. And that inspired me to say, you know what, if we want to have some change here, someone has to do something. And secondly, there was a, a feeling that the council was being run by a bunch of bullies. And I have this, uh, I don't know if it's a character flaw, but if I see people getting picked on and people being put down, I just feel a, a moral obligation to stand up and fight for them. So it was those two things that motivated me to get involved. And what did you, what did you learn over your four years? Was it a bunch of bullies and, and everything else, or was it misunderstandings and just people not understanding how maybe, um, you know, local politics works? Well, it, probably both. 
both. I look at the current land use bylaw issue that's coming up all across the province with people concerned about, uh, you know, the 15 minute cities and over government control on people's lands. And a lot of that is our valid concerns. But another part of it is just is a lack of trust in our institutions at this point. I think the, the biggest issue people are facing now is that people have lost trust in just about every institution. No one in our area trusts the federal government. People did not trust the provincial government under Jason Kenney. Now that trust is starting to be rebuilt under Danielle Smith. And we see that lack of trust filtering now down to the municipal level as well. People see people need to know that each municipality has to have a municipal development plan. It needs to have a land use bylaw. But people are just concerned about who is writing the rules that are dictating how they get to live their lives. And what, I'm curious, just on the bylaws, what, when you, I assume you've looked at it, maybe that's yeah. a bad assumption. What, what, what have you thought of um, the, the land, used, land use bylaw? I guess it, for me, it comes down to what's the, what's the purpose of the land use bylaw? If you look at the land use bylaws, a bunch of rules that dictate how uh, the municipality manages their land. Well, I guess it's going to be a fight to see who gets the most votes to get it going their way. I think we need to have a change in mindset, though. We need to look at it as a bunch of rules that dictate how people live their lives. Because people in rural areas are very attached to their land. Like I said, my family's been here almost 115 years. We're attached to this. Um, and the rules that the counties make through the MDP and the land use bylaw aren't just rules for land, the rules for people. And I think municipalities need to change their perspective on how they write these rules. They need to figure out what kind of people do we want in our area and how can the land use bylaw, how can the, the rules we make for them go to make them stronger families instead of weaker families? It's been an interesting, um, you know, you bring up families again and, uh, how can laws, bylaws, make families stronger or weaker? I'm, I'm curious if you just expand on that just a smidge. Well, I'm going to go to a quote by everyone's favorite prime minister, Justin Trudeau, where someone asked him about, you know, what he views Canada like and what's good about Canada. And the first thing he said is, we've got strong institutions. And that's a very different perspective from saying we've got strong families. Because if you want strong institutions, where are they going to get that strength from? Well, they're going to be taxing people overly. They're going to be taking the money. They're going to, there's going to be rules in place to make those institutions stronger. And it, it's a new way of looking at it, but we need to look at every rule as what can this, how can we rewrite that rule to make it better for families? Look at the carbon tax. The carbon tax is there to save the planet, but in the process, it's going to be bankrupting just about every Canadian. It's it's a bad law. Yeah, the carbon. Um, well, I always come back to Chris Sims. Chris Sims lays it down the numbers down like extremely well about what's going to happen by the time twenty thirty comes. Right, like yeah. it, it's it's not going to be it's not going to be good, you know. Right. And then and then of course, um, as we record this, you know, it was just a a little while ago that uh, me and twos from the, the mashup talked literally about you know the MPs taking a pay raise as they increase all taxes across the board right. and you're like does any like they can't seriously think this is a good idea and yet here it is and right. uh, you you talk about trust with people's government when they do things like that 
there ain't no trust anymore. Like yeah, right. people are, are fed up. And uh, it's interesting um, when you talk about uh, why you got into government in the initial stages, as small as it was, um, things were, as you, uh, I think, uh, I hope I'm using your words right, um, you know, there was things bothering you and you wanted to see change. And so you went in. Well, when it came to rural, rural crime, how did you um, folks address that? Uh, just curious. Well, first of all, we have we we have the RCMP in Rocky Mountain House. They're our local detachment. And as soon as I got on council, you get to know these officers on a one-on-one level. There are so many good people who just want to do what's best for the system or do best for the people. Sorry. Um, the most shocking thing from the first meeting I had with the RCMP is how they were complaining about the catch and release program. So they were told to go out and arrest these people. They had arrest them. And before they were done the paperwork, the courts had released them. So it's very demoralizing for these officers. Um, in the end, what happened, um, there was a, a very public confrontation between a, a woman and two of these criminals that ended up with uh, loaded firearms. It got press internationally over here, and that really woke up the government to how bad the situation was. So the staff sergeant in Rocky Mountain House, he looked at the whole situation. What he decided to do was just allocate two officers off his detachment, and all they did was go around to all these people who had bail conditions and not harass them, but just make sure that they were following their bail conditions. So one day they might show up at four o'clock in the morning and knock on the door and make sure they're home. Then they'd come by the afternoon and then in the evening. And it was just constant monitoring of these criminals. And what happened is after a few months of this, these guys would just leave. So it took a few years, Mm. but now those chop shops are all gone and we have a nice peaceful community once again. Now it's, it's good for us. It's good for our community. It's not good for the community where these guys went. Yeah, I, I, yes. I've been wondering about, uh, you know, I talked to earlier this week about, um, well, pedophiles. I don't know why I have such a hard time uh, saying that word. I don't know what it is about this subject that really just bothers me. I brought it up multiple times, me and Paul Brandt, when we talked about the trafficking thing. It's just a really yeah. hard subject. Anyways, one of the things that um, uh, Paul Brandt had said back then is bad Bad people or, or maybe bad things are allowed to survive because they live in the dark. All you got to do is shine the spotlight on them and they'll vacate right. because they don't want the spotlight. And all you when you talk about it, it, it to me, um, I think every community, you know, uh, this isn't, you know, are there bad people slowly migrating maybe back into Rocky Mountain House? I'm sure there are, right? And I'm sure there are in Lloydminster and I'm sure there are in Grand Prairie and Edmonton and everywhere else. And if you don't put the spotlight on some of the things and the issues that are very uncomfortable then they're allowed to sit there because nobody knows what's going on. And all you, when you talk about it, to me, it just seems like, oh, you just shine the spotlight. And it didn't take 10 years. It took months. And they're like, oh, this isn't, this isn't okay, let's get out of here and let's find a new spot. I, I think that's, like, really encouraging, actually. It was. And I, when the police started their patrols um, back in the, the early days of this, People would, something would happen, they'd have to leave their home and drive at three o'clock in the morning and the police would pull them over. And people would go on Facebook and write about how happy they were that they had to 
do something at three o'clock in the morning, go check cows, something. And the police pulled them over just to make sure they weren't causing trouble. It was joy in the community to see the police involvement in that. Isn't that wild? That, it that's, is. I mean, when you think about it, most people would be PO'd that I'm, I'm just going to check cows. Would you leave me alone? But I mean, it but gets to that level, Tim. Yeah. That's how bad it was out here. Hmm. Okay. Well, let's fast forward then. You know, um, right. um, I don't, you got to lay this out for me because I've read the articles. I remember when this was going on. Uh, I don't know. I actually don't know if I was podcasting at this time because this is March, 2022. Yes. Yes. Just, uh, 13 months ago, 14 months ago, started in February, 2022. And Sean, people wonder, I, I hadn't really put this together until right now, but I, uh, took, the only time in four years I've taken time off was the time this was going on. 58 right. days is when Tim... So actually, uh, let's walk me and the audience through this. Uh, you well, put first, your name in for, for UCP uh, candidate in your area. But uh, sure, first, yeah, fire away. I had started listening to you about two weeks before all this happened. And I really got into your podcast. And then all of a sudden you disappeared for two months. And I was very worried about you. So I'm glad... I was very glad when you came back online. Yeah, Um it's a hard thing to talk about. Ottawa was a lot of things to a lot of people. And uh, right. we, we always talk about all the positives that came out of Ottawa because I don't think they want to to shine a light on some of the, the craziness that happened there. But it was a lot. Uh, yep. You know, um, I've talked a lot on this podcast over the last, you know, probably three, four weeks about uh, the journey with some call it uh, spirituality, some call it this, some call it that. And um, for me, you know, I just had on Tanner uh, Naday talking about the Bible and everything else. It's it's really opened my eyes to a lot of things that I didn't realize was there. And for two months, I had to reel and really contemplate a lot of things. Had nothing to do with uh, a lot of people. I, you know, when I look back on it, I'm like, oh, I could imagine lots of people were like, did Sean die? Is he in jail? Did he, you know, like, what did he see? Is he, a, is he a, a shill for the government? Was he paid off? Was it like, it's like all these things. Like, no, Sean was like literally held up in his house trying to figure out what the heck had happened to him. And, and, uh, it's taken, well, you know, I, here I sit how many months later and I'm still like, I don't know, do I need to, how do I ex- try and explain this to the listener? It's a very, um, odd thing other than, um, you know, Ottawa was overwhelming. That That's what I would say, yeah. Tim. And uh, I went in very naive, not thinking of the situation I was putting myself in. And uh, <laughs> that's pretty much it. It's like after that, it's like it just it hit me like a ton of bricks. I talk about going there thinking you're just going to walk around and, and talk to people. And uh, there was just a lot going on that was certainly meets the eye certainly messed with your head and i'm talking about listening to cbc and then looking out your front window and seeing all these people like hugging and and singing and all the healthiness right like you realize what situation you're in right the government is actively saying you're a bunch of terrorists or whatever you know misogynist racist blah 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 dangerous to society the horns are too loud and you're looking out and you're going holy shit, like what is going on you're seeing swat run down the street you're seeing all these things and then tack on to it the thing that probably everybody has the hardest time, even myself, trying to explain, because I don't know how to explain it, right? If you are a, a Christian man, if you if you believe in spirituality, you understand that there's more than to this world than meets the eye. And if you went there not realizing that, you're getting a you're getting a crash course in like what is going on, and that's yeah. part of Ottawa, right? And so that, uh, you know, 
not to derail this interview, but uh, that that's what happened to Sean. So for two months, 58 days, and truthfully, it was probably more like two weeks. Two weeks, I was ready to come back, but I told myself I was going to give it till April 1st. I was going to I was going to give myself time to uh, pull myself back together so that April 1st came, I was ready to go. Right. So. Well, the convoy was, it moved you and it also moved me. I think it moved a lot of people. Um, it was on, I think, February 6th. I got a, a text link from one of my cousins who said, hey, Angela Pitt is on a Zoom call talking about what we have to do to get rid of Jason Kenney. So I clicked on the link and watch this Zoom link. I have no idea where the meeting was. And then I asked Angela Pitt a question because I was on Nixon's CA board at that time. And she and I talked for a few minutes. And she said, Tim, I can tell you got more questions. Let's set up a phone call for, for tomorrow on Monday and we'll talk. So great, wonderful. So I called Angela the next day. We had a good talk. And by the end of the conversation, she said, Tim, what do you think about trying to challenge Jason Nixon and his constituency for the, the ability to represent the UCP in the next election? And the thought hadn't entered my mind until then. Um, so Lori and I did a lot of soul searching. We thought, you know, I just lost the election in 2020. Yeah, I, I, I ran again for municipal council last term in 2021 and right at the beginning of campaign season i ended up getting covid so for the whole campaign i was laid up in bed just sick uh, it was like i had mono all over again and had no energy and when you can't campaign you don't win the election so i lost and we just gotten used to the fact that okay tim is just going to focus in on the farm and we're going to feed our cattle we're going to sell our meat and we're going to have uh, raise our kids and raise our grandkids and then all of a sudden there was that call, do you want to do something more again? So we talked a lot about it. We prayed a lot about it. And we said, we came to that conclusion that yes, it's, it's time to do more. Was it inspired by the truckers and the convoy? Probably was. But it was getting back to that, uh, the thing that called me to, um, to that first municipal election. If, if there is a problem, you can't just complain about it. You have to get involved and fix it. So we ran. Uh, as soon as I'd filed my papers, the next day we had people from Edmonton and the Ledge contacting us and saying, you do know you're going to get disqualified, right? And they said, if you have any chance of taking out Nixon, you are going to get disqualified. So we just, we formed a team. We hit the streets. We started organizing speaking events. Before we put our name in the nomination race, the local CA here at about 581 memberships sold, if I remember that number right. Within two weeks, by the time I'd received the membership list in March, there were 1,800 memberships. So we know Nixon had sold a few, but the vast majority of those sales had come from our team uh, talking to people and encouraging people to get involved and make change. And there was also the SGM going on um, for to vote to remove Mr. Kenny. So we had a lot of mutual energy. So we were working hard. It was a chaotic 14 days. It was amazing. The team came together and we got the membership list and we looked at all the names. We went through it and we knew we had the votes to win. So then the campaign switched and we we're like, okay, how do we make sure these people get out to vote? We're working on that. And then I got disqualified. And what did you get disqualified for? 
Like I got walk, disqualified. Walk me through. Walk me through the morning or the afternoon. The phone call. The email. What yeah. What happens? Well, first of all, there's there's the the reason they say and the real reason underneath it. But I went out to do chores one day, so I was literally driving in the tractor, picking up a bale to go feed the cows, and uh, my phone buzzed, and I looked down, and there was the disqualification notice sent from the UCP. And the the number one reason they had um, was that back in 2015, when Trump was racing against Hillary, and conservatives were being censored off of Twitter, people were saying you have to get a Gab account. You know, it's going to be the Twitter replacement. So I had joined up with Gab. So I logged in. And because all these Trump people were on Gab, up comes a list of 10 people to follow when you sign up, right? So I just click, 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 click. And then I don't think I went on Gab for years. And what had happened was back in 2018 then, during the U.S. midterms elections, all of these people that I had followed, the Democrats started branding them as white nationalists to get them out of the equation so Trump would lose his his social media following. So the UCP looked at, or I shouldn't say the UCP, I'll say the LCNC, the local, uh, local constituency nominating committee, looked at these and said, oh, there's a bunch of white nationalists on Gab and Tim's on Gab, so he must be a white nationalist. And that was the number one reason they disqualified me for, that I had a Gab account and they're white nationalists on Gab. Now, the real reason, and it's taken... Um, a lot of conversations with people in the know to figure this out. There were two real reasons. Uh, a lady had written a letter to the LCNC accusing me of the most vile racist things that I spoke from a podium at a public event. She sent this to the LCNC. And then somehow this letter ended up uh, in the hands of Don Braid, the Calgary Herald reporter. And he wrote about this letter that said all these vile things about me or that I that, had he called, did that he, I had said all these vile things. Did he call and talk to you about it? Yes, he did. And I denied it. I was absolutely shocked because I, I thought back to the event. It was in Rocky Mountain House. And I'm like, there was nothing absolutely close to anything that could be construed as being racist. And so what, what were the vile things she was saying? Like, what was she accusing? No one of? knows. It's this ghost phantom letter that's out in the internet. But when the that, Calgary Herald reporter calls you, what does he ask you about? He, he doesn't said, say what about this claim that there were a bunch of racist things said from the podium. But that's the most blanket statement in the world. It is. And so this phantom letter circulated and people were saying, oh, he's a, he's terrible. He's horrible. He can't run. And I... Everyone has talked about the letter, but I don't know of anyone who's actually seen the letter. The thing is, this lady sent it to the LCNC, and it's supposed to be a confidential board. So that letter should have been confidential. So I'm confused as to, ha how, as to how the five members of the LCNC, who should have been the only people who saw that letter, how it got into the hands of a reporter in Calgary. Okay. Carry on. Cause he, okay. I'm going, you know, it's only taken Sean a year to get finally the story from Tim Hoven. Anyways, carry on. Well, and then the other reason I just learned this through talking with people about a month ago is that one of the things I'd retweeted was that if, if any politician 
had broke criminal law through all the mandates and through all the uh, through all the lockdowns. I had retweeted someone who said that there should be an investigation, and if they broke any laws, they should be charged. Okay, and that was another thing that uh, upset the estab- upset the establishment. So those were. To the best of my knowledge, those are the three reasons I got disqualified. You know, to all the people that say, Sean, you ever going to run for politics? It's like, if that's getting Tim Hoven disqualified, folks, I'm screwed, you know, because I will get, I will get destroyed for 400, well, you know, however many episodes it is now. uh, And some of the things I've said, oh, there's no, there's no chance. If that, that's all it takes to get Tim uh, removed. But it, you know, it wasn't any of the things that I'd said. It was, it was. Politically, to get rid of a get rid of competition, competition, competition. for Jason Kenny's number two man. That's what it was, right? If they want you disqualified, they'll find a reason to get you disqualified. Yeah, it's um, it's this uh, you know, some people call it the old boys club. It's to me, it's it. You don't have to put it that way. It's as simple as there's certain people who have been playing politics all their life, and yeah. maybe for generations, they know the ins and outs of this. You know, the the first. I don't know if it was eye opener, but I remember sitting in this, this in the studio here with uh, Theo Fleury and Joseph Borgo when they were going around, and he was getting raised all that money, got all the signatures to be in the conservative leadership race, and yeah. then they disqualified him like last minute because he hadn't made certain things and blah 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 blah. And I remember thinking about that, being like, "Oh, that's interesting." Like, wow, that we all know, like every known, every person knows that uh, they didn't want his voice on the stage. Like, I mean, it's, yep. it's simple. They, 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 we don't have to go any further than that. And saying that, whenever you leave anything to the last moment, the deadline, they can nitpick, and, and that is their prerogative. Like, that's, it, it's sad to say that, but that's like, that's when they hold the keys, you got to find ways to jump. And in your case, it's like, it's a very bitter pill to to swallow when when uh, you've done everything right you're 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 doing things the right way your constituency or the the area is pull, pulling you're doing everything that a politician should do and they see that as a threat and that is the murky water of politics it is it is um so it was so surreal watching premier kenny's press conference where he's talking about me right it's it's odd you know i'm just in my mind, I'm still just a simple farmer. So when you see the big press conference and Mr. Kenny saying all these uh, incorrect things about me, and it was just sorry, bizarre. Tim. Could you could you um, what was he saying? Well, once again, I, I'm at this point in time. Sean is somewhere else. I don't know if I've ever gone back and watched. Well, I I don't think you should go back and watch it. It'd be sure. a waste of your time. But he was just saying that Tim Hoven was disqualified and gave these broad generalities. Um, I know he said a lot of the same things about Jody Gateman, who was disqualified two days before I was. She was the candidate challenging Joseph Scow down in Cardson Sixica. She was disqualified. Uh, now, he he said different things about Jody, and there was enough um, enough things that he said that she actually took Jason Kenney to court over the, the lies that he said. But by the time I was disqualified, they changed their language enough that it was just all broad generalities and there was really nothing for me to do other than to either keep fighting or, or stop. And I'm, uh, I'm not a person who likes to stop. So we kept going. So that brings us full, you know, all the way to pretty much today, right? I think like 
where you sit today, you're intending to run as an independent. Right. Uh, 19, it, 1967. 1967 is the last time somebody who isn't a current sitting MLA ran as an independent. Yeah. And won. It's an uphill battle. But here's well, the thing. Let's talk we about it. Got, we've got an amazing team. And it's it's not even that I had to go out and find this team. The team was just out there waiting for it. Because for the last year, the people of Rimby, Rocky Mountain House Sundry, have not had their voice heard. They wanted a different person when it came to the nomination. And I was disqualified. They organized... Um, and took over this Nixon CA board in January. And people have asked me, and or I, I should say people have asked me, and they've seen it in the press that it was a take back Alberta organized takeover. Well, it wasn't. If the only thing that take back Alberta really did to the people here was just inspire them and got them off of their couches, out into the community, and working to make change. Well, if David Parker is is uh, one thing, uh, he is has an ability to break down how you can take back your area. And yeah. essentially, as he, he literally just said to me this week, you know, it's funny, I, I, I see Take Back Alberta hitting the headlines right now. I'm laughing I'm like, oh man, there I'm, I'm interviewing that guy again too. You know, it's like, yeah. Sean can't seem to just interview a mainstream person that everybody likes. I gotta be the, <laughs> anyways. Take Back Alberta, one of the things he's said that just makes perfect sense is here in Alberta, we like to think politics is a spectator sport, like watching the Oilers Flames. We just get to sit back and watch, whatever. Yeah. And he's like, well, politics isn't that. It's participation. You want to change things, you have to get involved. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that's what he's, that's the message he's he's telling everybody across a, a, a province is like, you want you want things to go back to the way they were or, or better or whatever it is, you have to get involved. It's like, yes. And if you really believe in democracy, the more people that are involved, the more people that are speaking, the more people that are working together, that's making the system better, right? The, the cure to bad democracy is just more democracy. It's that simple. So the people here um, got that's organized. A wild that's a wild message to spread, Tim. I don't think we need to be hearing I, that. You know what? I'm probably going to get disqualified again, right? Well, I so, don't know. You're on the Sean Newman podcast at this point. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm on some government watch list already, so why stop now? What, what does Byron Christopher say? He says uh, one in one in every four Canadians is is being monitored. So um, you're certainly being monitored. I certainly am being monitored at this point. It's like it's kind of like when I bring out an episode and say the word COVID, immediately there's like a COVID tag saying if yeah. you want, you know, you're like, you know, it's like at this point, it's like, well, well whatever carry on with life. Yeah. So the people here, uh, they organized, they called themselves the grassroots and they got organized. They got people out to Nixon CA AGM and took 28 out of the 30 positions on the board. And the first thing they did is they sent a letter to the provincial board saying, reopen the nomination. And that letter sat on the provincial board's desk for about a month before they dealt with it. Now, in the end, when they dealt with it, and this isn't me breaking any uh, confidentiality rules. It was all in the Western standards. So I'm just telling Linda Slobodian's story. Sure. What happened was that night, um, the old guard or the establishment, I don't know what term to call them because it's kind of a nefarious group. We don't know who they are. 
But they came forward and said, if Danielle reopens the nomination, there are going to be two cabinet ministers that resign immediately, three MLAs that resign immediately, and there will be 34 votes of non-confidence in Danielle if she reopens the nomination. So the board then, instead of listening to the people of Rimby, Rocky Mountain House Sundry, blinked and said, we're not going to reopen the nom. And in fact, because of the way the old guard did it, the motion was withdrawn and it wasn't even voted on that night. So the people here are extremely frustrated because it's been over a year of fighting just to have their voice heard and it's been knocked down numerous times. So the team, um, the team said, Tim, there's only one thing left to do and that's you have to run as an independent. So I said, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, let's do it. And we've been, uh, you know, this month just working uh, small meetings, talking to people, finding volunteers for the team so that when May 1st hits or whenever the writ is dropped, I should say, we will hit the ground running and we will find, you know, 11,000 people to vote for Tim Hoven, the independent candidate. And I will be uh, sitting in the legislature. Yeah, it's, it's, you face this this is uh i'm going to speculate on your area because i'm just going to assume it's the same as as lloyd minster wainwright vermilion and yeah. that is it is a conservative um hotbed meaning like yes. there, nobody's walking into this area i don't care how good of a speaker you are if you're blah 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 uh garth rosewell and the UCP will win this election in a landslide in this area. I just, yep. it, to me, it's it's a foregone conclusion. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've talked quite a bit about this. So in your area, I assume, and maybe I'm wrong on this, Tim, and I'm sure you've talked a lot about this with different people. What you fight is the mentality that if they vote for you, you might be allowing the NDP to win. And not in your area, because I I, under, I think a lot of people understand that even if uh, uh, UCP candidate, Nixon, Hoven, split, the NDP still can't win, right? We're talking, I think your area was like 80-some percent UCP. So if you split that, it's 40-40, and the NDP or whoever uh, the, the, you know, the challenger is, is still going to get like 10%. Neither, like, I don't think... I completely understand that point. I think from a lar larger scale, if people truly believe that the UCP versus the NDP in the entire province is within one riding or multiple ridings, they look at it, and that is something that is deep-seated that I don't, I don't know how you get past. But maybe you've had lots of talks about this. Back in December 2021, UCP support in this constituency was down to 45%. 45%? 45%. And then as soon as we started our nomination fight and the... That's the, uh, interesting. TBA, and as soon as TBA started saying we have a way to get rid of Mr. Kenny, the, pop, the popularity of the party rose up to 70% where it's been sitting just about ever since. So when the par support for the party is here, but not necessarily the support for the current candidate. Yeah, well, I, I understand that very well. See, in the last polling that I saw was from, I think, March 25th. It had the UCP at 60% right now, NDP at 18, and then independents 
was at 15%. So I don't know if that was tip or if people were confusing the independent candidate yeah, versus independence candidate. Sure. Yeah. But we're looking at that number. If there's 20,000 people voting, all we need to do is, is split half of the UCP vote to another conservative who's going to support most of what the UCP is, who supports our current premier. And I think a lot of the NDP support in this area is also an anti-Nixon vote. They just don't know where else to go. So that by offering an independent conservative voice, we, we do see a path up the middle to, to victory. And because of the high percentage of people who are conservative, we, it's impossible that the NDP can slip up through the middle. Yeah, in your writing, it's impossible. Yes. I, like to me, I'm, I'm not, like I personally, when I, you know, this is uh, going back to Maverick and federal politics. Like uh, once you start to understand the areas they were targeting, that, you know, if you split the vote, somebody's still crushing the next uh, yep. person by considerable amounts. I, I completely get that. What I think is you're, and once again, to me, and uh, this is what I what I'm I'm trying. You know, the the last election, what was it? Sixty. What was it? Sixty some seats. The conservatives they won in a crushing landslide, yeah. right? And now the big fear is that Calgary's all of a sudden going to be close, and and you know if if the NDP win that and blah blah blah, it's going to be tight. It's going to be tight. And I'm like, is it going to be really that tight? Like, I mean, you have to approach it that way because, I mean, certainly uh, you don't want to act like it's going to be this blowout and then show up and, you know, I, I get that. But that is, um, there's something psychological there with with um, with people. And I witnessed it in the federal election. People that thought yep. the Maverick idea was sound still voted conservative. And the reason they did is because they were like, if we are not all united, then we fall. And we got liberal right. government anyways. It didn't matter. You know, I mean, it, it mattered, but it didn't really matter, you know. And uh, certainly, uh, it's just like, it's just this psychological thing. It's not in your area. It's that you united together with all the areas that I think you fight more than anything. Maybe I'm wrong on that. And that's why we are trying to build that big team of people, that big team of volunteers to go out and knock on many doors, host lots of coffee houses, host lots of, lots of potluck suppers. <laughs> and get our message out. Um, it, it's going to be, this election is going to be one in this constituency, one vote at a time. Just building what you said about, you know, battleground Calgary, because that's how this election is being uh, sold. Uh, being sold. Yeah. And that might be for control of the legislature, but, you know, talking with people here, the, the real battle is going to be for the heart and soul of Alberta. And that's going to be fought right here. Is is the UCP and is the government going to be a, a government that listens to the grassroots and takes their ideas? And is it going to be from the bottom up or is it going to be the old guard coming through and winning? And it's going to be the top down approach that we had under Mr. Kenny. And that is something that people do not want in this constituency. Um, if you look at how the governments have been doing the last 10 years, I, I don't think things are getting better with what they've been doing. I think our country is in a much worse spot than we were back in 2013. And that was even with low oil prices. So if you, if you want to make a change, you have to vote for change. 
You can't just keep doing the same thing you've always done because you're going to get the exact same results. So we've, I have faith in the people of this constituency. They're not afraid to take a risk. They're not afraid to stand up and they're not afraid to say, we want something done differently. Yeah. Um, one thing, uh, I, I completely agree with you on, you know, is if you want change, you have to, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do it. You can't wait for somebody else to do it. You gotta go do it. Yeah. And, totally. uh, who knows, maybe, uh, you know, um, the Tuesday mashup this year is going to be doing election live election coverage. So that should be interesting. You know, we're, we're going to have some fun with it. So we're going to be paying yeah. attention. Like I'm for the first time in Sean Newman's, uh, by the time the May election rolls around, in his 37 years, he's going to be staring directly at the Alberta election, paying direct attention to it. And uh, while one way or another, Tim, we're, we're going to be watching what happens uh, in Rimby Rocky Mountain House Sundry and seeing if, uh, you know, it's not a miracle. It's been done before. You know, if it had never been done before, that'd be something. Yeah. You know, people always go, oh, well, and I read the article. That I wrote down the date, 1967, but it's been done before. You know, it's it's like... Now that it's been done before, it's like, well, history has shown that it can be done. It's how right. much, it's how many people can you talk to probably, you know, if I listen to all the, the political nerds in a short period of time, door knocking, um, to convince them that uh, voting in you is going to be the right thing. And right. I mean, only time will tell. I mean, we're, what are we sitting at today? April, you know, beginning of April. And, you know, like it's. It's too bad, you know. I assume there is uh, rules and stuff that you're not you're allowed to have town halls, but you're not allowed to go around door knocking. Or is that not the case? Well, I what we've been doing is we've just been uh, putting my name out there, and if someone wants to organize a coffee house, they can invite me to come speak. If we had a lady who organized a potluck just last weekend, and we invited myself and Chris Scott to go speak. And about 120 people turned up to listen to both of us. We were very happy with that turnout. And so we're just talking to people, inviting people to invite me to come speak. And then as soon as the writ drops, it changes what we can do and what we can say. So until the writ is dropped, though, you're not essentially you're kind of handcuffed in what you can and cannot do. Right now, I'm just a community leader being invited to go speak to events. And... Uh, how close to an election can they drop that? Like, when is the last possible day they can drop it? I believe the minimum length of the election period is 28 days. So when the election is legally sent to be, or legally supposed to be on May 29th, May 1st, I believe, is the last possible day to do it. And is there any reason they would drop it earlier than that? Yes, there is. Oh. Who's got the biggest war chest right now? Is it the NDP or the UCP? Mm, I don't know. I haven't seen the financials, but I've heard the NDP are sitting on a $50 million war chest. Now, 50 soon, million? That's what I've heard. So, but as soon as the writ is, before, until the writ is dropped, they can spend money like drunken sailors, and I'm sure they will be. If you, I don't listen to the radio very often, but people are saying there's ads everywhere. I don't watch mainstream TV, so I don't see the ads, but they're everywhere. UCP versus the NDP. And the NDP is winning that battle. They've got more money to spend. But as soon as the writ is dropped, elections, Alberta rules come in for campaign spending. And then it levels the playing field between the two campaigns. 
then it doesn't matter who has the biggest war chest because there's a legal number that they can't spend above. But then as soon as they drop the, then it's 28 days after that? No, it can be up to, I believe, uh, now you're, I believe it's up to 90 days, but I don't think anyone could survive a 90 day election period. So the writ could drop today even. And it would be about a 60-day so election period. Hey, just thinking aloud here then, they should be dropping it right now then. Well, I would think if they wanted to level that playing field, it would make sense to drop it right away. Because hmm. everybody's staring at May 29th anyways, right? Like when you, yeah. when you, I mean, we're all talking about it. So if we the only reason. going to happen. So, you know, you go, why wouldn't you do that? That's an interesting question. You've just, that's an interesting question. I'm assuming, you know, uh, as soon as people say, see, I'm, I'm interviewing uh, politics, and then there's a certain, there's lots of people who listen to the podcast, but as soon as I get into this realm, there's a lot of political nerds, and they will yeah. be hitting this phone up, I'm sure, with this is why they don't do that. And uh, in my mind, if you gain, like, what do you gain from leaving it to the last possible second when your biggest arch nemesis, the NDP, uh, whether it's fifty million or not, everybody knows they're they're attacking Daniel Smith and the UCP yep. and media. You don't have to be watching it to understand that. It's like um, you hop on YouTube and it, it'll be there in front of you, and you're like, well, yep. "What is going on here?" You know. So um, that's interesting because uh, I, I don't know what it must. There must be things like what it would all of a sudden. You know, as I'm thinking about this, would all of a sudden they be handcuffed on what they can do in government? Like, are yes. they not allowed? So maybe well, they're. Maybe they're looking at it, Tim, like, sorry, maybe they're looking at it like, uh, this is what I hate about a, a, a virtual, everybody knows this, this is what I hate about virtual. Uh, you know, there's a, the back and forth is, is difficult. Yes. But maybe they're looking at it like, yeah, they can go spend $50 million or whatever the number is on advertising, but in the next 30 days, we can do things to the entire population of Alberta that will bode well for us. That could right. be it. And maybe, you know, an extra 30 days to to continue to improve healthcare is going to be very important to the UCP campaign as well. Whereas yeah. if they called the election now, there'd be a lot of, there could be a lot of unanswered questions that if they can fix in the next 30 days, it's going to be to their benefit. Yeah. That's to me, that might outweigh shutting down the NDP, right? Because the NDP can yeah. squawk all they want when you get to do whatever you want right up to the last possible minute. Hmm, that's interesting. Well, this has been interesting. Regardless of, you know, once again, I I, uh, I wish you best of luck because I'm, uh, anytime, you know, I go back and, um, you know, and I apologize about the lady, although I don't, I'm not sure she ever wants her name said, um, uh, but the phone call, you know, it's like that level of, uh, in my mind, desperation uh, about trying to get a story out in Alberta is kind of what I've all been about, you know? It's like, well, let's right. talk to some people. Let's let's find out what's going on. And so if, uh, you know, if if that area wants change, who is Sean to say they shouldn't have it, you know? Like, it's like, right. well, like, you know? But in, in fairness to your area, if you want change, you know, you got to get out and vote. You got to do, you know, you got to you gotta put your your your, uh, your check mark on, on the guy you want. And, and from there, who knows? Maybe uh, it starts a change that uh, we can't see what it leads to in the future. I have no idea. But it'll be interesting to watch. I mean, once again, this guy on May 29th, I never thought I'd be like, well, I'm going to be glued to a television. And we're going to, you know, well, actually, I'm going to glued. If you're listening to this and you're like, ooh, election coverage, I don't know where I'm going to get it from. 
Sean Newman Podcast, Tuesday Mashup. We're going to be doing it, and uh, we're going to have some fun with it. We're going to be talking to some people throughout Alberta, and uh, we're going to have some fun. And and uh, what's the, the slogan we're using right now? And this is a terrible plug as I got Tim sitting there, but it's Tuesday Mashup. Uh, what if election coverage didn't suck? <laughs> so that's gonna be that's what we're gonna be doing. Who knows? Maybe we'll have Tim. We'll we'll have Tim call in or or, or sign in to, to give us an update on on all things in his. We'll area. stream you in from the victory party. Hey, there you go. Well, Tim, it's uh, before I let you go. I guess we should do the final question here. Uh, brought to you by Crude Master. It's uh, if you're gonna stand behind something, then stand behind it absolutely. What's one thing Tim stands behind? I'm going to stand behind the, the heart and soul of Alberta. The most amazing thing over this last year, even with all its struggles and all its hardship, has been the amazing people that I've had the opportunity to meet. Some of the, yeah, just amazing people. You know, they want to, they come and they want to talk to me and they are so amazing. I just want to ask them questions and, and listen to them. And Alberta has such a depth of, uh, of people. It's, it's enough to make you cry how good the people are here. So yeah. I'm going to stand behind them. Well, I think that's, uh, well, well, like I say, we uh, look forward to uh, the 29th and, and uh, best of luck in, in, you know, whenever the writ drops and whenever you. you officially get to announce and all those different things, um, you know, best of luck. And, uh, you know, uh, hopefully you don't... Uh, you know, as you said earlier, you had COVID uh, and it dropped you when you were trying to get out door knocking and that type of thing. I didn't realize how important that is, but the more political nerds, junkies I talk to, you understand how important that truly is. So um, best of luck in uh, in the upcoming, uh, you know, months. And we'll be paying attention on the 29th and we'll, we'll uh, look forward to seeing how things uh, play out. Great. And thank you for your time, Sean. Well, hey, uh, to all the listeners who are, who are tuning in, uh, you know, at, at times Sean has conversations with himself about like, you know, do I really want to talk about this? And I laugh because I'm like, if uh, Alberta or Saskatchewan or Canada really wants it, it's like, who's Sean to get in the way? You know, like, let's yeah. let's talk about some things. That's what I've been doing since, you know, not the very beginning, but close to it. And uh, um, that's what we're trying to do here. So we're trying to open up some dialogue on some things that, you know, seem like they're you're going to talk to another white nationalist, Ooh, you know? And it's like, and then you start talking, you're like, oh boy, you know, like yeah, here's just another slander job on, on what people are, you know, they put in the papers and when it's, it's, I don't know, it doesn't seem like it, uh, Tim, after an hour's time that that's has any relevance to the person that you are. Great. Thank you, Sean. You bet. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Um, it's interesting. We have, uh, I, I've offered this spot for well, we're going into the fifth year, so I guess for four straight years, I've offered for somebody to take right now, right here, the last spot. And finally, somebody took me up on it. So uh, welcome aboard CalRock. So uh, um, used surplus. <laughs> this is going to be interesting. Sean's going to butcher this the first time around. We'll get it. We'll get it. We'll get it nailed down, folks. Use surplus frac sales and production tanks. They got new, used, and refurbished oil and gas equipment in stock. That's CalRock. All you got to do is go to CalRock.ca for more information. If you're in the oil field industry, you're looking for new, used, and refurbished oil and gas equipment in stock. CalRock. Here you go. Um, 
They're the best bet when it comes to finding equipment that fits your needs, is within your budget, and is ready as soon as you need it. We can even custom manufacture tanks and other equipment for your uh, specific application. So, hey, I tell you what, the end of the podcast looks like we're going to be throwing some things your way. So, uh, if you, uh, well, shout out to Calra. Hey, anytime I get somebody new on, it's like, oh, baby, you know? And uh, I've been getting, uh, I, I had a lady ask me about, can, can, you know, the end is so abruptly. Could you could you put something on the end? And it's like, yeah, I can. It just, uh, you know, it's an added thing of editing. So uh, not that that's a problem. Now that there, there's something to go on the ends, it's like, well, I guess you're going to get what you wish for. Uh, in saying all that, if you uh, haven't liked, haven't followed, haven't shared the podcast, please do. You know, I used to say that all the time. It does help. And uh, I love seeing... Uh, uh, you guys sharing or you gals sharing both way, you know, uh, anyways, uh, it's cool to see you guys share, like, follow, uh, subscribe, all that good stuff. And, uh, Hey, we're going to catch up to you Friday. Thanks for hopping on today and, uh, have a great Wednesday, Thursday. Like I say, Friday, Sean's going to get used to this, uh, at the end of a podcast again. I haven't done this in a very, very long time. So, uh, stay tuned folks, wherever you're at, we'll catch up to you in a couple days.